1: Good morning and welcome to AM. I'm Kim Landers, coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. Australia's national education strategy has copped a scathing assessment, partly because it's doing little to stop declining reading and numeracy results. The report from the Productivity Commission reviewed the school funding deal that's negotiated every five years between federal, state and territory governments. Here's national education reporter Gabriella Marchant.
2: Alice Lung is a senior science teacher at a New South Wales public school and says teachers like her are increasingly rare but the union member says her crippling workload is anything but. A typical day means that you are teaching the
3: majority of the time from nine to three. It's also not uncommon just to, you know, you go home, have dinner, all that sort of stuff, and it's to sort of kicking picking up again at like nine o'clock to ten o'clock. And the weekends are... It is not uncommon just to work through the weekends.
2: In a scathing assessment of Australia's national education strategies over the past five years, a new Productivity Commission report says measures have done little to improve student outcomes. It shows national literacy and numeracy results have generally declined since 2018 and inequalities in educational achievement haven't been addressed. Among the range of recommendations to lift standards, reducing teacher workloads is the one Alice Lung identifies with most.
3: When your workload is actually unsustainably high, so the resourcing is
2: not there, your your actual lesson delivery and their learning experience takes an impact. The report also suggests the next five-year funding agreement between the Commonwealth, states and territories, which will be tied to an updated national strategy must help teachers use evidence-based teaching strategies. For the first time, the report also recommends measuring student wellbeing and making it a priority outcome. Student well-being is is critical to student
3: learning. so I don't know if you are not feeling safe or you know if there's something bothering you, if
2: like if there's mental health issues, um that's obviously going to be a barrier. The well-being recommendation might have helped eighteen year old Katie Owens, who graduated from a private not-for-profit school in Launceston, stay in mainstream public education.
3: I was a pretty happy kid until
2: grade nine and then I went to the first day of school and I pretty much was like, ah, oh, this I don't like this anymore. Australian Education Union President Karina Haythorpe agrees wellbeing is an issue, but she says that and the growing divide between disadvantaged students and their peers are linked to one issue the report omitted. School funding was explicitly left out of the review. and The majority of students from these cohorts are denied uh, the funding because of the government's failure to fund their public schools to at least 100% of the schooling resource standard. She says despite Education Minister Jason Clare pledging to bring public schools to their full funding level, a review to investigate ways to do that will delay funding changes by a year. It's unclear what the pathway to getting to 100% would look like. In a statement, Mr Clare called the report damning and says it underscores the need for wholesale renewal when the next school's agreement is negotiated.
1: That report from Gabriella Marchant and Penny Timms. Australian social media influencers with millions of followers are in the sights of the consumer watchdog as it tries to crack down on undisclosed sponsorship deals. The ACCC is doing a check of platforms like Instagram and TikTok, warning that people need to be upfront about whether they're getting paid to spruke certain products. Shari Hams prepared this report.
3: This is how I wear dresses every day in winter without getting cold. South Australian social media influencer Chloe Grayling has built a big online following posting about living a wholesome lifestyle. Not only are our cows Jake and Elwood pets, they are basically 400 kilo big fluffy dogs. Some of her recent videos include clips of her with her pet cows and at the beach in Port Wollonga. I share a lot of content about my life um, and I'm very fond of my life. So we have restored a 140-year-old cottage on the Florio Peninsula over the last few years. And I've got these two big, beautiful Highland cows. So I share a lot about them as well and all that comes with that. She has 60,000 Instagram followers and nearly a million on the video platform TikTok. She says she takes pride in being transparent when she receives payment to promote products, something which she says happens on a regular basis. Quite recently, a few of the platforms have rolled out a tool that um, tells people that the post is part of a paid partnership, and that shows right at the top of your post, so it can't be missed, which is really helpful. Other than that, um, if that's not available, then I would use hashtag ad or hashtag gifted just to make it really clear to people that that's something that I've been provided with something in exchange for. Last year, American celebrity Kim Kardashian was fined more than a $1 million by the US Securities and Exchange Commission for not disclosing a sponsorship in an Instagram post. Here in Australia, social media podcaster Amy Torba says similar non-disclosures are widespread. I think at the moment the influencer space is a lot
2: like the Wild West. There are a lot of things that are happening that are unregulated, and I think there's a lot that needs to change.
3: Australia's consumer watchdog the ACCC says it's aware of the problem. It's embarking on a sweep of Australian social media influencers, inviting its own followers on Facebook to dob in users doing the wrong thing. Amy Torber says some influencers avoid posting sponsorship details due to fear about what disclosing commercial deals might do to their personal brand. Well, really, they're trying to mislead their audience. It's actually not an ad. That's what I personally think. When I say SponCon, I think you don't want to say hashtag ad because you don't want to look like a sellout. At the same time, the Australian Taxation Office is cracking down on gifts to influencers with a declaration of products given for free now required at tax time. Tegan Borman is a lawyer who represents influencers. She says the new gift declaration rules go further than many realise. Things like receiving a free handbag or a free holiday and whether or not influencers need to include that in their taxable income at the end of the financial year. My mum always says if your head's warm and your feet are warm... For Chloe Grayling, all the attention from both the tax office and the ACCC is just another sign of just how influential social media stars have become. It's a really positive step for the industry of creators and of influences because
1: it lends legitimacy to an industry that's come a really long way in the last few years. South Australian social media influencer Chloe Grayling speaking with Shari Hams. After more than a year of investigation, Hollywood star and producer Alec Baldwin will be charged with involuntary manslaughter for his role in the fatal shooting of a cinematographer on a film set. Prosecutors say no-one is above the law. Here's North America correspondent Carrington Clark.
0: It was an incident that shocked Hollywood. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins shot and killed on the set of the film Rust by a gun held by Alec Baldwin. More than a year later, New Mexico prosecutor Mary Carmack Atwiz told CNN Mr Baldwin should be held responsible for the death
1: Every person that handles a gun has a duty to make sure that if they are going to handle that gun, point it at someone and pull the trigger, that it is not going to fire a projectile and kill someone.
0: Mr Baldwin has strenuously argued that Ms Hutchins' death isn't his fault. He told American ABC back in December 2021 there should never have been live ammunition on the set and denying that he actually pulled the trigger of the gun. I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. That was the training that I had. You don't point a gun at me and and pull the trigger. Helena and I had something profound in common, and that is we both assumed the gun was empty. But an FBI assessment of the gun found it would only have gone off if the trigger was pulled. It's one of the issues likely to be tested in court. Hannah Guterres-Reed will also be charged with involuntary manslaughter. She was the armourer on the set, and it was her job to manage the firearms. While the film's assistant director has signed a plea agreement for the charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon. Legal expert Rachel Fizzit says she thinks Baldwin's lawyers will try to blame others on set for what occurred.
3: That's really where Alec Baldwin's defense is going to come in. He was told he was being handed an unloaded gun, cold gun. And that is really where he's going to defend himself is is it was reasonable for me to rely on the people in charge of this gun, the armourer and the assistant director, so I didn't have to check myself again.
0: Mr Baldwin was both an actor and producer on the film. Prosecutor Mary Carmack-Atwiz says Mr Baldwin might not have wanted to kill Ms Hutchins, but he failed in his responsibilities.
1: There were people that were complaining about safety on set, and so he should have been aware that, Safety was an issue on set, and then as an actor that day, he should have checked that gun, checked those projectiles.
0: Mr Baldwin's lawyer says he will fight the charges, the most serious of which comes with a potential five-year jail term. This is Carrington Clark in Washington, reporting for AM.
1: A decision by the Northern Territory Government to close its Treaty Commission and reject some of its key recommendations has angered Indigenous leaders. The Commission had recommended a framework for starting treaty negotiations and holding a truth-telling process. But as Jane Barden reports, the NT Government has instead decided to do more consultations itself.
4: For more than two years, the NT Treaty Commissioners travelled across the territory consulting indigenous communities, asking how they wanted dispossession of their land, children and culture to be addressed, and self-governance returned.
5: The big guns is out there, making the laws. At the moment, we're fighting at hard with the government. We, we feel like a killer
4: anyway. Commissioner Tony McAvoy submitted his report to the NT government six months ago with high hopes.
6: The timing is right for this type of reform.
4: Arnhemland Land Independent NT Parliament Member Ying Guyula has been angered by the government's response released online over Christmas.
5: The government snuck it out during the Christmas holidays quietly so that it doesn't wakes up the ears of the public. The Yongle leader was elected to Parliament
4: on a treaty platform by the community which penned the famous song. the first treaty promise from Prime Minister Bob Hawke in
5: 1988. I am very, very disappointed with the intergovernment's response. It's the same old story going around and around with the bureaucracy. There is no commitment to making real change.
4: The Treaty Commission had recommended a framework for NT-wide and individual treaties with communities, self-government, and a truth-telling process, which it would help facilitate.
5: My people have been ready for a long, long time, and they, Commissioner, listen to that. But the government was not and is still not ready for treaty. The NT
4: government has instead decided to hold two years of forums to test whether Aboriginal Territorians agree with the Commission's recommendations or not and to close the Commission. It plans to start a truth-telling process by getting its Aboriginal interpreter service to record people's stories.
5: The um, anti-government took it back into their own uh, bureaucracy, which is just going around and around and around in circles. Darwin Larakia elder
4: Eric Feijew is also dismayed.
7: It's really, really frustrating, you know, that this was an election promise. You know, when when they spent millions of dollars, you know, just to shut us up because they already had the answer.
4: When the ABC asked the NT government to respond, it provided a statement saying it's going to progress a process towards a treaty-making framework within its Aboriginal Affairs Office. Yin Gula says both the federal and territory governments need to speed up their treaty
5: processes. The federal government and the Northern Territory government need to listen to the people through the voice that we put into the parliament and the independent Australians that are supporting these treaty processes. And it's not the governments that make decisions in the end. It is the voice of the people.
1: NT Independent MP Yinya Gugula talking to Jane Barden. As Papua New Guinea finalises a defence deal with Australia, it's also negotiating an agreement with the United States, with high-level talks to be held in Hawaii next month. PNG's Foreign Affairs Minister says the US wants to make its presence felt after China struck a security agreement with Solomon Islands. PNG correspondent Natalie Whiting prepared this report.
6: My question is, Internal Security Minister... Why can't we go? And in Papua New Guinea's Australian Parliament
8: Government this week, MPs were pushing for details uh, of the security treaty PNG plans to sign with Australia.
6: Our security, our stability, our cohesion directly adds to Australia's security. During Anthony Albanese's Resilience.
8: visit last week, so the two governments committed here, to the front signing front the deal by the middle of the year. But they're not the only defence discussions PNG has been having recently. The country is also working on a new agreement with the United States. A high-level delegation will be travelling to Honolulu next month as the countries work to finalise a defence cooperation agreement. PNG's Foreign Affairs Minister Justin Tachenko says the agreement will lay the legal and administrative groundwork for future engagement. It
7: will also help with uh, PNG uh, and America's investment into capacity building of the PNG Defence Force in training infrastructure, but it's a big one that will ensure that uh, we have that uh, cooperation agreement that will have both Defence Forces working together now and the future for the security of the uh, Pacific region.
8: Mr Duchenko says the focus of the agreement is on cooperation and assisting PNG.
7: It's not a situation where we will have uh, warships and uh, and maybe, yes, training is, is definitely one, but not one of uh, building up the US forces uh, here.
8: In April last year, a high-level Washington delegation visited the Pacific in response to China signing a security pact with PNG's neighbour Solomon Islands. Discussions around the defence agreement then began at the first Pacific Island Leaders Summit, which was held in Washington in September.
7: The uh, United States of America have taken a fairly uh, serious role uh, now in the Pacific uh, since uh, China and uh, Solomon Islands have had their uh, agreement, which um, has uh, created a Tsunami throughout uh, the Pacific region.
8: Mr. Tachenko is hoping the deal can be finalised around the middle of the year. He says PNG respects its relationship with China and is only furthering security ties it's always had with traditional partners.
7: So we could keep to our traditional partners in defence and in security, utilise the situation for the betterment of uh, our country, our sovereignty, and also what we're trying to achieve now and into the future.
8: And you're not worried PNG is being used to further Australian or US interests?
7: Not at all. Not at all. Um, we've made that very clear from day one. Uh, we are here to work with our security partners, and, uh, but also them to assist us to build our capacity in our region so we can protect our own sovereignty at the same time.
8: The ABC contacted the US Embassy in Papua New Guinea for comment on the Defence Cooperation Agreement but hasn't received a response. This is Natalie Whiting in Port Moresby for AM.
1: Across Asia, millions are on the move for the first Lunar New Year without COVID pandemic controls closing borders. And that means many in China are able to reunite with family members for the first time in three years. East Asia correspondent Bill Bertels reports.
6: At one of Beijing's main train stations, the travel rush is back on. The last time so many people crisscrossed the country to see loved ones at Chinese New Year was four years ago. Closed borders, COVID travel restrictions, and official advice to avoid holiday travel have derailed the annual family reunions for the past three years. Among those heading back to their hometowns, Hairdresser Wang Li Dan.
8: This is my first time going home for the New Year in the past three years. With the restrictions relaxed, it's finally time for me to head back.
6: She's boarding a train to northern Heilongjiang Province this time free of all the tight restrictions of the past three years.
8: I had to be quarantined several times. If there was an outbreak in Beijing, I had to be quarantined when going back to my hometown, and then when I returned to Beijing, they'd make me quarantine again. It was so inconvenient. I just wanted to stay away from the hassle, so I avoided going back for the new year.
6: China's COVID opening up has come at a cost. Authorities worry all the travel from big cities back to more rural areas could worsen COVID outcasts, Breaks in towns and villages with fewer health resources. Officially, 60,000 people in China have died from COVID in the past month in hospitals, but the real toll is likely much higher. COVID deaths were also a worry for the last Lunar New Year in other Asian neighbours like South Korea and Taiwan, but this year the borders are open and the restrictions have been gone for months. A vendor at a central flower market in Taipei, Xu Lianghui, says business has bounced back.
8: This year business is a little bit better than it was before the pandemic. Because the pandemic measures went for so long,
3: people didn't go out and browse the plants like they do now. Many people are buying flowers
8: as gifts.
6: Selling butterfly orchid, a popular gift... She has a simple hope for the new year.
8: I just hope this pandemic ends quickly and everything's peaceful.
6: Across most of Asia, they'll be welcoming the year of the rabbit on Saturday night. Although in Vietnam, they instead welcome the year of the cat. This is Bill Bertels in Taipei reporting for AM.
1: And that is AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Kim Landers.
6: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.